Welcome to Dice Talk, the show where we discuss all things Dungeons and Dragons to come up with some helpful hints and interesting ideas that you can bring back to the gaming table. I'm your host, Jeremy Fair, and today we are going to take a look at one of the most terrifying and iconic creatures in the entire Dungeons and Dragons multiverse. This is episode 6, Eye in the Sky, and today we're going to look at The Beholder. We're going to dive in and take a deeper look at this horrifying and legendary monster, as well as some of its lesser deviations, the Beholder Kin. We have a lot to cover on tonight's episode, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get started on Dice Talk. Welcome to another episode of Dice Talk. Tonight we are focusing on a creature that in a lot of ways is a D&D staple. It is a true classic in the Dungeons & Dragons gaming system. And to help me talk about this creature, we have Vincent Hartel. Hey, what's up guys? So the creature we are talking about is a monster that is fierce, terrifying. It doesn't matter if you're a novice, a beginner... If you're a true rookie, or if you've been playing the game for years, this is the type of monster that you do not want to run into, no matter how much experience you have playing Dungeons & Dragons. I'm going to start off by giving you a slight description. This comes straight out of the Wizards of the Coast Monster Manual. This creature has a spheroid body. It levitates at all times. There's a great bulging eye that sits above a wide, toothy maw, while smaller eye stalks crown its body, twisting and turning to keep their foe in sight. When this creature sleeps, it closes its central eye, but it leaves its smaller eyes open and alert, constantly scanning for danger. This creature has a genius-level intellect, and a paranoia to match. This is a creature that trusts nobody but itself. It has power beyond measure, and it is a true tactical genius when hunting its foes. I, of course, am talking about the Beholder. So, Vincent, you've been playing D&D a while. Have you ever encountered a Beholder? Um, so far in our current campaign, we have not encountered a Beholder. We've encountered Beholder Kin, specifically the Gazer, which was kind of our first taste of not just the nature of Beholders and their power, but also it was a kind of a baseline of... You know, things are only going to get harder from here if we continue to encounter beholders and beholder kin. Yeah, and you also ran into a spectator, which is a lot like the gazer, but it has the tendrils coming out the side of its face. So for those of you that don't know, a beholder is this behemoth-like creature. I mean, its size can be from four to six feet in diameter. It is a spherical monster. It has a giant eyeball located in the center of, I guess, what would be its face, And below that is this big, toothy grin. Around it are tentacles. These tendrils can uh, be anywhere from six to eight, even ten. And at the end of each of these tentacles is is another eye. And each of these eyes shoot out various rays, all of which are not something that you want to mess with. If you were to encounter a beholder, you very well might not escape that encounter. This is a creature that is going to have wisdom and intelligence far beyond that of your players in almost every situation. It deals damage at ludicrous amounts. 
It can escape by just flying hundreds of feet into the air. It can create an anti-magic field where if you're trying to hit it with ranged magic, that's not going to be effective. It's going to fly far enough away to where even your arrows are not going to be able to hit it. This is a monster that, especially when encountered in its lair, is almost always going to be a deadly encounter. There are a variety of types of beholders. Some are weaker, but there are some that are even stronger. We're going to talk about them later, but these are things like the Hive Mother. There's also a Death Tyrant. There's also the Overseers, who are very, very powerful. Uh, We'll be touching on all of that in just a moment. But before we go ahead and get into that, I'm going to just kind of go over a little bit of the nature of what a beholder truly is give you an idea of why this monster is such a staple in the Dungeons and Dragons role-playing game. So as I mentioned before, beholders have this genius level intellect. They're convinced that they are the epitome of perfection. They are the most evolved, the most intelligent, the most powerful creature in existence, at least in their eyes, no pun intended. With all of this intelligence comes this intense paranoia These creatures feel that just as they want to destroy everything that's imperfect compared to them, that something out there must must be trying to kill them as well. This is a, a type of paranoia that goes beyond simple anxiety or fear. This is a paranoia that haunts them. It makes them go insane. It twists their logic into the deranged mindset that a beholder has to the point of having this xenophobic kind of isolationist outlook on life where they're almost afraid of other creatures because, you know, if it were them, they certainly would be trying to destroy them. It is a creature that overthinks things, but when doing so, it does it at a far superior level of intellect than nearly any other creature you can encounter. A beholder is, in very many ways, a monster. It is it is a horror to behold, for sure. Absolutely. My first impression of a beholder was actually a really lasting one for me as a you know a young impressionable youth a friend of mine loaned me the Dungeons and Dragons Game Boy Advance game Eye of the Beholder and the game itself I think was a little beyond me at the time but I still vividly remember that label on the game cartridge and just the visage of a beholder and just what a a terrible creature it looked like in that just small little picture as a really lasting image. And now that I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons, it has really only amplified for me the fear and the power of a beholder. Yeah, a beholder is not something to mess with. Not only is the image itself like truly terrifying, it looks like this deranged creature, this this monster, like just looking at it, you're like, okay, I don't want to mess with this thing. But it is such a staple in the Dungeons & Dragons game. Like you said, not only is there like the Game Boy game that has it featured on the cover, there is also one of the most legendary characters in Dungeons & Dragons, and that is, of course, Xanathar. Xanathar was this beholder that essentially ran Waterdeep, which is one of the largest cities in the whole Forgotten Realms. And it controlled Waterdeep from below, from beneath the ground. Basically, it held control over this city in secret, manipulating and using its mental abilities to control those who appeared to have power over Waterdeep. Um, this is something that has been 
a classic creature in D&D for a very long time is certainly is not new in 5th edition. It's in, you know, 2nd edition, 3rd edition, 4th edition, 3.5, all those things. And, of course, it is here in 5th. In fact, the Beholder is so popular, it is the creature that is on the cover of the 5th edition Monster Manual. I mean, when you look at this thing, you see this dwarf and this other man running from it in fear. This beast looks like the kind of thing that is just ready to destroy you. It has this these crazy fangs and all these deranged looking eyes. I mean, these players on the cover are, are literally running away from it in fear. It is definitely a, a terrifying image to behold, and with good reason. The stats on this thing are crazy. Like, a beholder is not the kind of thing that you want to throw at a new player. I'm just going to do a, a general overview of kind of, you know, what a beholder is. So a beholder is a large aberration. Uh, it's lawful evil. And just from the start, right right on the get-go, nothing special, no new features. It already has a natural armor of 18. That's pretty good. That's not impossible to beat or anything, but, you know, that's pretty good for something that's not even wearing armor. Yeah, that's fairly high for myself and the other people in our party. We've only just now broken into kind of everyone in the party having an armor class of 18 or around 18. Yeah, and you guys are, like, almost level 7. Like, you're you're getting up there... Now, a Beholder, even at level 7, and even with all five of you, would most likely get a few deaths, if not kill all of you. I would predict that if I were to throw just a regular base level Beholder at all of you right now, you're going to have to either try to escape or you're all going to die. I definitely do not think, even at your level, even with the magic items you have, and even with your experience... And even with this knowledge of like, you're, you're going to kind of have this metagame knowledge, especially after the research you've done for this uh, podcast episode, I still don't think that you would be prepared to defeat a Beholder in its natural state. The Beholder starts off, and this is, you know, this is before you change anything, if you want to change things, because, you know, as a DM, you can do whatever you want. Just right off the bat, 180 hit points. Wow. Yeah. Even if you have barbarians and things on your team that can deal some like massive damage. I mean, this is the kind of thing that is not... It's not easy to take down. Also, it's constantly flying. It has a hover speed of 20 feet. So it can just move 20 feet straight up. It can fly right over your head. It can, you know, zoom into the sky and basically eventually move out of range of all your weapons. A beholder is crazy because it's such a genius level intellect type creature. It has an intelligence of plus eight and a wisdom of plus seven. On top of that, it sometimes even uses a certain level of diplomacy when dealing with its, with its victims. Being such an intelligent creature, it knows it doesn't necessarily have to always resort to pure force. Because of this, it even has a charisma bonus of plus eight. I mean, this is this is pretty wild. Like right off the bat, it's going to have these crazy saving throws to where if you're trying to do something to it, it's you know, it's probably going to save. So if you cast a spell on it and they have to make a DC wisdom save, like for its saving throws, it already has plus eight to intelligence, plus seven to wisdom, and plus eight to charisma. That covers all your basic spellcasters. doesn't matter if you're a wizard, a sorcerer, a cleric. doesn't matter if you're a warlock. On top of that, it has a plus 12 to perception. So good luck trying to sneak up on it. Good luck trying to pull some crazy maneuver and outwit this thing. You are not going to outthink a beholder. And that's just, this is assuming you're fighting it somewhere other than its lair. 
And let's be honest, if you're encountering a Beholder, it's probably going to be in its lair. And then because it's in its lair, it has all these other different ability modifiers it's going to get. is going to become even more intense. Being new to, well, new to the Forgotten Realms in general, but also to fighting Beholder and Beholder Kin, when we encountered the Spectator in the Cave of the Cult of the Eye, and we were all around level four at the time, I think. Yes. And... I took the spectator to just be a beholder instantly from what I had heard, you know, discussion around the table before and after games. um, I thought we were just screwed and immediately it used one of its eye rays to put fear into one of the monks in our party and Anyo ran and he was just gone for a while. He took a turn down one of the cave paths that we hadn't been to yet. And we weren't sure whether we were going to see him again or not, because as he was make attempting to make saving throws to, you know, overcome the fear, they were such high numbers that he had trouble finally overcoming that. And that's just a beholder kin. That's just a spectator. That's not even anywhere close to an actual beholder. Uh, I believe that a beholder, Let's see. So the spectator is only a level three challenge. That essentially means four level three characters should have a pretty good chance at defeating it. And even that thing was quite a formidable enemy, especially at the time. Because they're always floating, it's immune to being prone. So you can't even knock this thing prone. It doesn't have feet. It can't fall over. It is literally always floating. Like you knock it to the ground, it just starts levitating again. Like this is just part of its... Just part of the way it exists. Just part of the way it naturally is. On top of that, it has these uh, really intense senses, these natural senses it has. It has a dark vision up to 120 feet. So it can you know, see you from way up in the top of the cave. So it's hiding in these, these well-carved-out holes hundreds of feet up in the air, watching its victims as they you know, trudge their way through its cave or its lair or wherever it is. And it can see them. Like You're not going to sneak up on it, especially with its crazy perception Earlier I said that it has a perception of plus 12. Well, this monster has a passive perception of 22. That's passive. That's without trying. It is, at minimum, going to have 22. It can speak the deep speech as well as undercommon. And on top of that, and this is probably one of its most known uh, features, this is, of course, the anti-magic cone. So the Beholder's central eye creates an area of anti-magic. It is an anti-magic field that has a 150-foot cone area. So at the start of each turn, the beholder decides which way the cone is going to face and then whether or not the cone is going to be active. This area works against the beholder's own rays as well. So while its middle eye is open and it's casting this anti-magic cone area, you know you can't attack it with any spells if you're standing within the cone. The only good thing being it also cannot attack anyone using its eye rays that is also inside this cone. So it kind of balances it a little bit. It can choose between does it want to stop you and kind of go in defensive mode or does it want to have all of its tendrils and these eye beams and things ready to go and kind of go full force. Now of course it can still use its eye beams on other people who are standing out of the magic cone such as the wizard who's trying to avoid being in that cone at all costs. Oh of course he can still hit that guy with his eye beams. He just maybe can't hit the barbarian who doesn't, you know, give a fuck about the anti-magic cone because he's standing <laughs> right in front of him anyways. Um, it's definitely a really interesting dynamic. So the Beholder, as you might have guessed, has quite a few intense actions. 
It has a basic bite attack. Gets plus five to its hit. It's just a normal melee, you know, five foot range. Just from its regular bite, gets to deal 4d6 piercing damage. Christ. That's pretty good. I mean, at level 13, that's not going to be so much, but that is simply one attack. If you're in range, though, that several times in a row would be plenty enough to weaken you. Well, the way I look at it is if you're in its range, if you're in range of this thing for it to bite you, you're probably in trouble. You don't want that thing that close to you. That means you're going to have a real hard time trying to get away from it if it decides to turn all its aggression towards you if you're within melee range. That's definitely not somewhere you want to be. But it has all these eye rays. The beholder can attack with 10 different eye rays, each one having its own effect, and all of them are very, very dangerous. So it's able to shoot three of the following magic eye rays at random. You can choose between one to three targets that it can see within 120 feet. The first of the eye rays is the charm ray. Getting hit by the charm ray is what I consider to be getting let off easy. Must succeed on a DC 16 wisdom saving throw or be charmed by the beholder for one hour. More than enough time to end up within range of any number of its attacks, whether it's from an eye stalk or from its mouth. The second uh, eye ray is the paralyzing ray. Target creature must succeed on a DC 16 constitution saving throw or be paralyzed for one minute. The target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself if it's successful. So when you're paralyzed, I mean, you're not able to do anything. You're stuck in place. You can't really make actions. Being paralyzed is <laughs> pretty intense. And, and still, once again, it's being let off easy. From a DM perspective, you mentioned earlier that the eye rays are chosen at random. So do you roll to determine which eye rays will be shot on its turn? Yeah, you can roll a d10, and then depending on what it, were, it was that you rolled, it kind of even adds really kind of more of a scary tactic to it because you don't even know what to expect. It kind of plays on this insanity roll that a beholder has where it's like it doesn't even know what it's going to do next. It just like launches these crazy beams at you and sees what happens. So the third ray, this is a ray that you uh, spoke of earlier when you were talking about fighting against the spectator. This is the fear ray. So we all know fear. Whenever a character or a creature or a monster is feared, it has no choice but to try to move its speed in the opposite direction, running away as quickly as possible. It can break free of this fear, but it has to roll to do so. So with the fear ray, the target creature must succeed on a DC 16 wisdom saving throw or be frightened for one minute. The target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself if successful. So you're fighting this thing. It's already actually terrifying for like the players who are sitting here trying to defeat it, especially if they care about their characters. But now if it hits you with a fear ray, it is mechanically terrifying. It is causing you to panic and run away and, and seriously like get the hell out of here because this thing is probably about to kill you. Which could be a problem, but in some instance that could possibly be a silver lining that scenario like you might be the only person in your party that manages to get away when everyone else you know draws an unlucky card as far as you know the i-beam that they get hit with yeah and these i-beams definitely get worse in fear i mean the more we go down this list it seems like you're getting more and more intense the next one's a slowing ray so for the fourth one the target creature must succeed on a dc 16 dexterity saving throw on a failed save the target's speed is cut in half for one minute in addition, the creature cannot take reactions, and it can only choose to take an action or a bonus action on its turn. It can no longer do both. 
No more using your bonus action to, you know, do your extra attack. No more using a bonus action to dash or, you know, having a reaction to cast a certain spell. I mean, this thing is really going to limit your ability to engage with this creature that's already really, really strong. The creature that's hit with this slowing ray gets to repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, and it can end the effect once again if successful. But this is one attack. I mean, this beholder attacks every turn. You're only you think like, oh, that's cool. I can just roll and escape it if I'm lucky. But it's going to attack you again. These are going to keep coming at you. This is going to happen every time the beholder decides to make an attack. It's not like it's a one-time thing and you're good. Yeah, it seems like if you've been slowed, you'd be using that action to deal with possibly one of the other effects that was already on you by the time you've been slowed down. Yeah, and like earlier it was saying it can choose up to three targets. So it can just choose one target and hit it with three different rays. And it's got to deal with all of this at once. Like that is when, like imagine if you were hit with a slowing ray and a fear ray. So you can do nothing but run away, but you're only able to move half your speed. On top of that, you can't take any actions or reactions, no bonus actions. I mean, like, this stuff starts to pile up. You get paralyzed, you get charmed. I mean, it is to the point where, like, you can't even fight back. You're just sitting here at the table watching your character get destroyed, and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll just have to wait till my next turn. It'd almost be comical if it wasn't such a terrible situation as a player. Well, yeah, when you put all that effort and stuff into your character, when you put all this time into your story and... I mean, a lot of people like draw a picture of their character. People write these in-depth backstories. People come up with all these different elements that really let them care about the character they've created. And then you're just watching it get dismantled by this flying eye beast. There's a reason that uh, the Beholder is featured on the front of the Monster Manual. It is quite the foe. It is a horror to behold, that is for sure. The next ray, and this is the fifth out of ten, is the Enervation Ray. The target creature must make a DC 16 constitution saving throw or take 8d8 necrotic damage on a failed save. If they're lucky enough to be successful on this save, they take half as much. Wow. Yeah, that's one of those where, oh yeah, I made the save. Oh wait, I still took 32 damage. Like, it's it's pretty crazy. Once again, this is one of three IRAs you can use each and every turn. It doesn't have to roll to hit your armor class either. These effects just occur. It just targets you, it rolls, you make your DC save, and we see what happens. This kind of throws armor class out the window. Now you're depending on your other skills. Your armor class means nothing against a beholder. So scrap what I said earlier about hoping that you're prepared for this, because you're really not going to be prepared for this. Well, maybe after listening to kind of our discussion here, they'll be slightly more prepared, or maybe they'll just be a little bit more knowledgeable about how they're going to die. So with this great intellect, with this genius level intelligence, with this crazy wisdom and this psychological unnerving effect that this monster gives off. So the next ray is the telekinetic ray. If the target is a creature, which it, which kind of insinuates that it doesn't have to be. I'm wondering if that means it can target your armor, target your weapon, uh, you know, target something specific that is not a creature. Because otherwise, why would they have that written in there? But... If the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 16 strength saving throw, or the beholder moves it up to 30 feet in any direction. Any direction. So it could just strip your armor off with its telekinetic ray. Well, it says if it's a creature. So it's able to take you 30 feet in any direction. It can just move you straight up in the air and then drop you. 
it can move you into the path of where on the next turn when it opens its central eye, now you're in its anti-magic cone. It can do all these different things that are, it doesn't matter what your plan was, you just moved 30 feet because that's your, you know, that's most likely going to be your speed. And it just picks you up and puts you right back where you were. Telekinetic Ray sounds pretty awesome. The Beholder can also exert fine control on objects with this ray, such as manipulating a simple tool or opening a door or a container. It can slam a door. It can set a trap. This thing can activate in a trap. It can grab a stalactite and make it drop down on you. It can like pick up a boulder weighing up to 300 pounds and launch it at you. And these things are geniuses. If you're in their lair, it totally makes sense that it might have these things set up. It probably has these traps ready to go. Why would it even waste its effort fighting you when it can just prepare its lair to kill you for it? Yeah, absolutely. That was what I was imagining. I guess your armor would be protected from being stripped off of you in this case. But as many boulders and stalagmites, stalactites that we passed as we traversed the caverns of the Cave of the Cult of the Eye. Yeah, there's plenty of things that it you know, could have been up to 299 pounds that it could have picked up and dropped on our heads. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of the beholders are known to kind of keep minions around that it's either brainwashed or is controlling in some way to work for it or simply just, you know, stole them or kidnapped them, depending on how bestial they are, and just puts them in this lair. These monsters that just attack you because, like, it decided to enslave them there. I mean, imagine we're talking about throws a stalactite or a boulder at you. What if it just pulls a roper off of the ceiling? They kind of look like a stalactite, but they're actually really fitting for the situation because they're reminiscent of a beholder. I mean, they have these tendrils coming off of it. They have this giant gaping eye in the center. They have this big, wide, toothy mouth. What if it just picked one of those up and threw it at you? And now you're dealing with the beholder plus that. You run away, Roper extends his tentacles, pulls you back. Then this thing hits you with its eye ray. It has no actual care for this monster if, if its Roper happens to get hit, so be it. You know, it's just another piece of fodder to kind of throw at, throw at these uh, characters who are trying to take him down. Or in a lot of cases, probably just wandered into the wrong place at the wrong time. So after Telekinetic Ray, you have the Sleep Ray. Target creature must succeed on a DC 16 Wisdom saving throw or fall asleep and remain unconscious for one minute. So next ray is the Petrification Ray. Target creature must make a DC 16 dexterity saving throw. On a failed save, this creature begins to turn to stone and is then restrained. It must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn. On success, the effect ends. On failure, the creature is petrified until freed by a greater restoration spell or other magic that specifically can get rid of petrification. It can turn you to stone. Now it's like a gorgon or something. It's like this medusa-type beast, in addition to all these other terrible things that it is, in addition to having the genius-level intellect, to having a lair filled with traps and minions, having this maniacal plan of how it's going to stop you because these adventurers are trying to you know, ruin its plan if it's controlling a city or if it's controlling some other creatures into doing some evil deeds or if it's just a random beholder going insane inside a cave somewhere and they just happen to wander into the wrong patch of dirt. After the petrification ray, things only get worse. So this next ray, I kind of threw this at you guys, but not in the full form of a beholder. So you guys went into the cave of the cult of the eye, and I had set up those traps that had a motif of a beholder carved into the wall. 
when they pulled a certain lever, which they thought would open a gate, an eye beam at random emitted from one of the eyes on this relief carving of a beholder. The ray hit one of our players, Mordai, and he was instantly disintegrated, turned to dust. Nothing but the bones and what was once his skin remained in this pile of ash on the floor. Or so you thought. I actually made it seem as if he was destroyed. I didn't even tell this player that he wasn't destroyed for a few days. I really wanted to kind of sink in with the party. And I tricked them. It was actually a teleportation ray, which is not something that he normally has. But in this trap, it kind of teleported him to the prison that was in this cave. But to everyone's knowledge, he 100% got disintegrated. And they thought twice about how they're going to approach this trap situation after that. But now that I kind of spoiled it a little bit, the next ray is the disintegration ray. With a beholder, it is not going to teleport you somewhere. It is very much going to disintegrate you. It is very much going to actually turn you to dust. Yeah, we were not prepared for that to happen at random to any member of our party. I think we mourned the loss of Mordai for the full, like, real-time week leading up to the next play session. So we're all pretty relieved. He even was like, oh, I'm rolling a character out today. I haven't made him yet. I'm just going to sit here and work on it while you guys play. And then halfway through, I kind of let him jump back in. Naked and imprisoned, guarded by... He was guarded guarded by an Etten, which is a two-headed giant-type creature. Um, It's more like a two-headed ogre. Smart enough to to previously take his spellcasting focus and get it kind of embedded inside one of his tiefling horns. And so he happened to still have it on him, even though this thing destroyed all of his equipment when it disintegrated him or, you know, teleported him. And he's in prison, and he, first of all, talks shit to this ogre, makes him come over and start, like, getting mad to basically fight him. And then kills it using magic. And then, like, uses Mage Hand to pickpocket the keys off of it. Lets himself out. He handled that situation pretty well. It was pretty badass. Meanwhile, we were just kind of wandering around this cave, looting rooms, and just kind of killing anything that we came upon. Yeah, well, you guys had to fight the spectator, and he couldn't even help. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he had been transported by that point. So on top of losing a friend, we all thought we were going to die. Like, right after that. Yeah, because first of all, you just got, okay, I I very, I described it as, you know, I didn't say it's a beholder. I, I said it's a creature that is round and spherical with pointy teeth and eye and these tendrils of eyes coming off the side of it. You guys all thought one shot and it killed him. So when you walk in the next room and there's a creature with pointy teeth, it's spherical in shape, has an eye in the middle of its head, tendrils with eyes, and starts shooting beams at you, you guys immediately assumed, like, this must be the same thing. We're all about to get disintegrated. Now, a spectator doesn't have the ability to disintegrate its foes. It only has a few of the eye rays, some of the less lethal ones. But at the same time, it is still no cakewalk. It is not like a slouch in any sort of manner. But the disintegration ray, if the target is a creature, it must succeed on a DC 16 saving throw or take 10d8 force damage. If this damage reduces the creature to zero hit points, its body becomes a pile of fine gray dust. They don't get to make death saving throws. They don't get a chance to be healed. If it reduces them to zero in this manner, they are gone. They are a pile of powder on the floor that your friends get to do with what they may. Yeah, time to retire your D20 at that point. Put it on a nice little shadow box on the wall. So we talked about charm raise, paralyze, fear, slow, enervation, telekinetic, sleep, petrification, and disintegration. You're probably thinking... I mean, how can it get any worse than being turned into a fine dust powder on the ground? 
There is one ray left that we have not discussed. It is simply the death ray. The beholder death ray. The target creature must succeed an IDC 16 saving throw or take 10d10 necrotic damage. If the target is reduced to zero hit points, they die outright. You're dead. There is no, once again, no saving throws, no chance to get healed. You're dead. But at least your body's still there. At least you still have kind of the chance to maybe get revived somehow. With the disintegration rate, you're just a pile of dust. Like, even if they revive you, now you're just a pile of dust. True. But you did save your friends some cost on cremation. <laughs> or, or the trouble of having to carry your body back to the nearest you know, city or safe place. So we already read off all these different eye rays, and we spent a lot of time doing that as well. But it gets even worse, because the Beholder being the crazy powerful creature that it is is able to still take legendary actions. So a beholder can take three legendary actions using the I-Ray option below. It can take only one legendary action at a time and only at the end of another creature's turn. So it can take up to three, and then once it becomes its turn again, it gets all three of them back. How can a player ever survive this? How can I make this kind of creature that sounds super awesome and super fun to use How can I actually implement it in one of my games without just team killing and just team wiping all these players? Or maybe you want want them a chance to fight this thing, you know, before they've been playing for like eight months and they finally got their characters to high enough level to where they are able to, you know, survive this encounter. We mentioned earlier the uh, spectator and the gazer. These are called beholder kin. And we are going to discuss the beholder kin in just a moment. But first, I would like to take some time to thank our sponsor. On the battlefield, I'm a warrior, ready to kill or be killed. I've defeated orcs from the north, sent Kandorian demon spawns back to the depths, and drank with Sumerian heroes. But when I get back from a hard day of disemboweling my enemies, I enjoy nothing more than to open my castle doors and find a dungeon crate as my reward for blood well spilled. Designed for role players and tabletop gamers, Dungeon Crate is a monthly subscription box service with a treasure hoard of loot you can use on or off the battlefield. Miniatures, dice, tokens, coins, maps, modules, terrain pieces, handcrafted items, RPG jewelry, and more are yours for only a few gold per month. You even get a digital crate along with a physical one as an added bonus. So what say you? Are you ready for postal glory? Oh boy. DungeonCrate.com Let the adventure begin! Once again, that is Dungeon Crate, and you can go to DungeonCrate.com to use the coupon code DICETALK to receive $5 off of your order. But before we continue, I'm going to just take this moment to read out one of our 5-star reviews. This 5-star review comes from our Stitcher, and it was submitted by Caterpillar Tide Pod. It is entitled, This Podcast Rocks. This podcast is amazing. Dice Talk is interesting, entertaining, and always gives me great ideas for my own campaigns. I love listening to the show while planning for my games and painting my D&D miniatures. Thanks, Caterpillar Tide Pod. We really appreciate that, as do we all of our reviews. If you would like to get a shout-out the way that Caterpillar Tide Pod did, then you can go ahead and leave us a five-star review so that we can read it out on the podcast. 
Reviews really help let us know how you feel about the show. They also help to get us to the top of the charts so that we can reach as many listeners as possible. But we still have lots to say about Beholder Ken, so let's get back to the show. Beholder Kin are, in a lot of ways, lesser beholders. Vincent, you were talking a little bit about them. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about of the various different Beholder Kin options that you can throw at your players, you know, a little bit earlier, so they don't have to wait all the way until they're, like, level 14. So, um, let's see, we encountered the Spectator, which I think has less eye stalks than a Beholder. A Beholder has 10, I believe, and a Spectator has less yeah, Beholder's eye stocks can vary, but it's usually going to be like 6 or 8 or 10. Um, from what I understand and from what it shows in the Monster Manual, the Spectator only has 4. And the other one that we encountered was um, a Gazer. We actually ended up encountering several of them. And they only had maybe 4 eye stocks. And rather than being aggressive, they just seemed to be curious almost they, in playing it reminded me almost of like a, a stray dog that you'd come upon and one of the members of our party Mordai as we were going through his cave and we came upon the first gazer he uh, he attempted to hold out some food to offer to this gazer and he said hey little guy I want to be your friend and this was where we found out about the gazer's um, attribute that it it doesn't speak a language of its own, just but it mimics. does. Yeah, it mimics, and it just proceeded to follow us around pretty much the rest of the time that we were in that cave system. Going, hey, little guy, I want to be your friend. And it was funny at first, but it it got kind of creepy after a while. And yeah, the gazer is kind of the lowest level, least lethal of the beholder kin. We mentioned the spectator. I really like the spectator. I'm not going to go into a huge detail with him. He has a much lower armor class. He has a lot less life, but he's still not a slouch. He seems a little bit faster than a regular beholder. He can fly up to 30 feet, so he still has that hover ability where he could easily escape. Uh, he still has those really high perception scores, that decent intelligence, that decent wisdom. He still has the bite, and he still has the eye rays. A spectator is only a level 3 challenge, so this is a really good monster to throw at your players a little bit earlier. Give them a taste of the beholder. Give them a little bit of the fear. And when I say that, I mean that both literally and figuratively because just as the Beholder has eye rays, the Spectator has eye rays. He has four options. This is the Confusion Ray, so he can confuse his target if they fail the save. There's the Paralyzing Ray. He can paralyze them just as we had mentioned with the Beholder before. The Fear Ray, he can literally put the fear into them and cause them to run away in terror like what had happened to Anyo earlier that we had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And the Wounding Ray. Um, I will read the Wounding Ray because it is not featured in the regular Beholder. So the Wounding Ray, target must make a DC 13 constitution saving throw, which at level 3 might be a bit of a challenge. That's not going to be super easy at that level. And if they fail this constitution saving throw, they get to take 3d10 necrotic damage. So unlike a Beholder who they have these kind of crazy science fiction-y space origins, or like these aliens from another planet another dimension even who knows they um they come from another world specters come from another world but they're accessible by mortals in fact a player or you know you can have an npc in your game for the for whatever plot it is that you're trying to push 
but even a player character can summon a spectator. A player character can create a spectator and use them as kind of a guard dog for an area. A summoned spectator guards a location or a treasure of its summoner's choice for 101 years, allowing no creature but its summoner to enter the area or to access the item unless the summoner is instructed otherwise. If the item is stolen or destroyed before the years have all passed, a summoned spectator will vanish. Otherwise, it will never abandon its post. When you guys were in the cave of the Cult of the Eye, um, I didn't read this bit of lore to you, but I, I always like to make these kind of homages to different things so that once you do get to that point, you might go, oh shit, that's why he did that. If you guys notice, the room just beyond where you fought the spectator was filled with lots and lots of treasure. There was a golden sphinx in there, a, a statue. There was lots of gold, magical weapons, some swords. Um, there was a big, great, powerful axe that I regret giving to our barbarian because I <laughs> let it do way too much damage, and yet he still has it. This new option for roleplay that it kind of brings to the table is really cool, and that's kind of why I like the spectator a lot. It, there's a chance that you can summon it by yourself. The book doesn't go specifically as to how you summon it, but it does mention that you need to conduct a magical ritual that summons the beast from another plane of existence. You need four beholder eye stalks, and when you do the ritual, it consumes all these eye stalks. Unlike the beholders who live and revel in this madness and paranoia, I had heard that spectators were more social in the sense that, you know, having been put there at this post, you could possibly have a conversation with one, ask it maybe why it's there. And um, especially if, like you said, you were trying to rob a museum or something and you had all these spectators who were bonded to the items that they were guarding, you could potentially ask them questions about the items that were there and maybe get more information about it or find out more information about what's there or the spectators themselves. Yeah, you say that it's kind of more social, a little less insane. There is a notation here in the Monster Manual, and it says, Glimmers of Madness. Though it can speak, a spectator communicates primarily by way of telepathy. It is civil while on guard, openly discussing its orders and its summoner. However, even a brief conversation with a spectator is enough to reveal quirks in its personality brought on by years of its isolation. It might invent imaginary enemies, refer to itself in third person, or try to even adopt the voice of its summoner. Like any beholder, a spectator views itself as the epitome of its kind and has an intense hatred for all other spectators. If two spectators encounter one another, they almost always will fight to the death. So right after the spectator, which was only a level 3 encounter, you're kind of moving up the pole here and you get what is called a goth. Now, a goth is... Pretty terrifying, honestly. I mean, it still has that spherical shape to it. It still has that central eye and these tentacles that have uh, eyeballs on the end of them. It still has that sharp teeth. And to me, it looks even creepier. It kind of has, at least on the image provided in the Volo's Guide, it kind of has more of a shape of like a human's head. It kind of has like this, I don't know, like there's a defined jawline. There's like a big area where it looks like its brain is located. It doesn't look so symmetrical as the beholder is usually presented as. Almost less spherical. More of um, almost like a skull. It's kind of what the image reminds me of. Skull with tentacles. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really creepy. So the goth is a hungry, 
tyrannical beholder-like creature that eats magic. It eats magic. And it tries to exact tributes from anything weaker than itself. Its body is about four feet in diameter with six eye stalks and a central eye. Now, what's interesting about the goth is that its tentacles don't all have eyes on them. It has four extra tentacles that are simply made for grasping things. It kind of has these talons in the way that a squid might. These longer tentacles that have these these appendages on them that can grip and carry and lift things. So these tentacles are near its mouth. You know, perfect, perfect area for it to grab things and force it into these hungering jaws that it has. Sometimes it toys with its food and squeezes it and drains the life out of the creature, making it easier to digest. The goth is pretty crazy. Um, It has what is called a magical metabolism. So the goth can survive on meat, but it prefers to sustain itself with power drained from magical objects and people. If starved of magic for several weeks, it will be forced back to its home plane. And it is constantly seeking new items to drain of their magical power. So it's kind of like the spectator where it comes from another plane of existence. A goth can be employed by another creature. Or it says right here that a goth might itself employ other creatures to work for it. So that it can serve him by bringing it magical items for it to sustain itself on. There is something mentioned as accidental summoning. When the ritual to summon a spectator goes terribly wrong... A goth might push itself through the flawed connection to the other plane, bringing itself to the material world to wreak havoc upon those who wanted to summon this spectator servant. If one of my players killed a couple gazers or killed a spectator, God forbid, even killed a beholder, and they decide to go ahead and collect these magic eyes, pull them together, maybe they talked to some wizard, maybe they did some research or something, and they're going for this ritual, and they do it wrong. Something goes wrong, they roll low, or... They didn't pay attention to a certain detail. Maybe the information they got was a lie. Something is wrong with the information they got and their ritual goes wrong. Here comes this goth. Maybe I even describe it the same. All right, you see this thing with these tentacles, these eyes on it, the central thing, these big sharp teeth. They're probably like, fuck yeah, I got myself my spectator. And then it just attacks you. It just rushes at you and attacks you. And that's when you find out you messed up the ritual. I think that would be a really fun kind of unexpected way to throw a goth at a player or even as a twist you know you've summoned this thing to guard some item or some treasure that you've left and if it's you know a magic item or something magical and you've just summoned this thing that consumes magic Magic items yeah. yeah that's it's actually really good that you said that it says right here that it might present itself as a beholder to ignorant creatures it's it's really smart it's a lot more intelligent than a spectator And it will try to convince you that it's in your service. It will try to be like, yes, master, what is the item you want me to guard? And do exactly what you just said. Uh, It says that it might present itself as a beholder to ignorant creatures in an attempt to intimidate them. Or it might try to say that it is a spectator so that the summoner leaves it and it is left to drain the magic items that it has been expected to guard. So let's get to some of the stats of a goth. So the goth has an armor class of 15. Its hit points are 9d8 plus 27. This can be pretty high, but it averages out at about 67. And just like the other Beholder can, it can fly. It has saving throws in intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Once again, it is made to thwart your magic uh, users, your spellcasters, and things like that. Which makes sense, since it thrives off of eating magical items. Those who are going to most likely be carrying magical items are those who practice magic. So it makes sense that it is designed to hunt them specifically. Once again, it cannot be knocked prone. It has this immunity. 
It has the dark vision, it has a very high passive perception, and just as the Beholder, it can use deep speech and undercommon. Instead of having an anti-magic cone, however, it has what is called a stunning gaze. So when a creature that can see the Goth's central eye starts its turn within 30 feet of the Goth, the Goth can force the creature to make a DC 14 wisdom saving throw as long as it's not incapacitated and it can see the creature. A creature that fails the save is then stunned until the start of their next turn. It also has what is called death throws. When the goth dies, the magical energy within it explodes. And each creature within 10 feet of it must make a DC 14 dexterity saving throw or take 3d8 force damage on a failed save. Half as much on a successful one. So you kill it, and then fucking blows up. And <laughs> this crazy magical energy is like... It's pretty... Uh, Pretty formidable enemy, not nearly as formidable as the Beholder itself, but nonetheless, very formidable. Moving up the list, we have the Death Kiss. The Death Kiss is a really interesting one. I've never had the chance to fight a Death Kiss. I've never played against one either, but judging by what it says here in the Volo's Guide, the Death Kiss is pretty awesome. So, true Beholders are isolationists. They despise all others of their kind, and they're so intelligent, their mind power is so strong that dreaming and thinking things up wills it into existence so beholders can dream and simply duplicate themselves they can have a dream of another beholder and it appears on the material plane this is no different from the death kiss a death kiss is a lesser beholder that might come into being when a beholder has a vivid nightmare about losing blood instead of a magical eye ray it has 10 long tentacles each of which is capped with a mouthful of teeth the picture for the Death Kiss, it's not like the others. It doesn't have an eye in the center and then all these other eyes on tentacles. It is a big ball with an eye in the center. There is no crazy sharp mouth. And instead, all the tentacles have these razor sharp teeth at the end of them. In coloration and shape, it is similar to the Beholder that dreamed it into existence, but its hue is slightly more muted. It has like this off color. So if it was a blue Beholder that summoned it or accidentally brought it into existence, it would have kind of like an off blue tone to it. Like paled. Um, yeah, it's like a little bit more pale, but you can create this anyway. I think of it as kind of how the beholder envisions itself if it had the blood sucked from its body. That's why yeah. it's kind of a pale form. I can see that as a situation that could potentially be thrown at a party of, you know, you're fighting a beholder and you manage to wound it and somehow manage to put it to sleep in its paranoia and sleep, it dreams a nightmare of yeah, losing that would blood. Be cool. And so by thinking you've averted this situation by putting the beholder to sleep, you've actually just spawned a death kiss. And now you have to deal with that on top of a beholder that could potentially wake up. Yeah. What if depending on your plot, like somehow you befriended a vampire or someone in your party had undergone the curse of vampirism and somehow still remained loyal to the party, or if not loyal to the party, at least loyal enough to wait for this fight against a beholder to end before they decide to, start wreaking havoc on everybody else, and it just runs over the beholder that was knocked down, starts draining the blood from its body, and then, you know, it starts spawning these death kisses all around it. it could, you could have more than one or something. It would be crazy. Oh, yeah. Because you dream, what, every 20 seconds you have a new dream? So I would assume that with the beholder, whose mind power is you know, significantly greater. Yeah, that's that's like three or four rounds, and you're just like, oh, another one pops up. Oh, you guys kept the Beholder asleep for another three rounds? He just had another dream. Here comes another Beholder kin or something like that. So just as it is dreamed up because of having the blood uh, sipped from its body, a death kiss survives solely on ingested blood, which it then uses to generate electrical energy inside of its body. 
Paranoid about dying from starvation, it obsessively drains every creature it comes across, even things such as rats, in an effort to remain alive for as long as possible. After it drains its prey, it abandons the corpse to scavengers. A death kiss prefers to hunt alone. If it meets another death kiss, it might fight, flee, or even team up sometimes, depending on the health and pride of the individual creature. If the death kiss is underground, it uses its tentacles as feelers, prodding and examining the environment in all directions. Above ground, it usually keeps its tentacles retracted. Uh, there's an image of it where it just looks like a ball hanging from like a rope with an eye in the center. And it can launch the tentacles out of it. So like when you first encounter it, you might not know what it is. You just see this little ball laying on the ground. And then you're like, what is this thing? And then it's a freaking death kiss. Tentacles just launch out of it. Once again, kind of referencing back to the um, roper where it looks like a normal object and these tentacles just shoot out of it and like this little slit opens up and it's an eye i like how these different creatures kind of in a way are mimicking other objects or at least can be disguised in a certain way to catch the party off guard so it has a armor class of 16 it has 161 hit points right off the bat and it can fly 30 feet uh, it's saving throws are in constitution and wisdom and it has a really high perception just like all the other beholder can it is 100% immune to lightning damage, and once again, it cannot be knocked prone. It is this levitating ball that can very easily just keep itself from being knocked to the ground. It has dark vision, has the high passive perception, and just as the other ones, it can speak both deep speech and under common. Um, as I'm describing this, you're probably thinking, it sounds tough, but not nearly as tough as Beholder. This is still a level 10 challenge. This is still to be approached with very much caution. It has an ability called Lightning Blood. A creature within 5 feet of the Death Kiss takes 1d10 lightning damage whenever it hits the Death Kiss with a melee attack that deals piercing or slashing damage. It has the multi-attack like a lot of other creatures do. The Death Kiss can make 3 tentacle attacks every turn, and up to 3 of these attacks can be replaced by its Blood Drain ability. However, you can only use Blood Drain as one replacement per tentacle grappling a creature. So, tentacle attack. Target takes 3d6 plus 4 piercing damage, and the target is grappled. One creature that is grappled by a tentacle of the Death Kiss must make a DC 16 constitution saving throw, and on a failed save, they take 4d10 lightning damage, and the Death Kiss regains half as many hit points in this way. So it latches onto you, holds you there, grapples you, electrocutes you, and then sucks your blood through these, you know, these teeth that are on the end of these attack tentacles, and gains health back. That alone, the the life drain ability there seems to make it a very formidable foe. Anything that you can be attacked by that can gain from your suffering in more than one way, definitely something to avoid. It's very much a vampiric creature. It literally sucks your blood. It literally gains life energy from doing so. And then it metabolizes your blood into electricity, which more or less is energy. And that's how it sustains itself. So it's a very interesting creature. I really like uh, I really like the Death Kiss. I'm definitely going to find a way to throw that at you guys and torment you as much as possible. And that's because... So the Beholder is probably one of my favorite creatures in D&D. It's certainly one of the most intriguing. The other of my most favorite is the Mind Flayer. The Mind Flayer is like this elithid creature with the tentacle face. And it can, it can just devour your brain, making you completely brain dead. What happens if a Mind Flayer gets a hold of a Beholder? Wizards of the Coast has an answer for us. There is a such a thing called a Mind Witness. A Mind Witness are flying nightmares of eyes and tentacles that were created by Mind Flayers 
basically a mind flare is able to create a tadpole. Uh, the tadpole can infiltrate a creature or a player or whoever it may be and slowly take over their mind, devouring them from the inside out. It's kind of like Alien or uh, in Stranger Thing, I believe they even call the episode The Mind Flayer, where he finds the little tadpole and it kind of gets into his mind and starts corrupting the way he thinks and all those things and it starts running rampant. That, of course, is a direct homage to Dungeons & Dragons. The Mind Witness is when one of these tadpoles finds its way into a beholder. It starts corrupting the beholder. It takes this genius intellect and devours it. What better to feed something that survives off of the intelligence of others than to feed it to a beholder itself? And what comes out is a mind witness. So it greatly resembles its beholder. It is an orb-shaped being and usually about six feet in diameter. It has a large central eye in the center of its body and then has smaller eye stalks all emerging from the top. However, a mind witness's mind flare influence made an already horrifying creature arguably even more so horrifying. It replaces its mouth with like this lamprey type mouth where it's like this suction hole with all these pointy teeth. The maw is then also surrounded by these four large octopus tentacles that makes it more remnant of a mind flare. And on top of that, it gives it all these different abilities so it can still fly. It still has crazy vision in almost all directions. However, it is now resistant to certain spells. It is able to still project an anti-magic field in front of them. Uh, the, in combat, the mind witness can act like a combination of a mind flare and a beholder. So it has its flight, it has its eye rays, and yet it can still use these crazy cyanic and uh, brain extraction abilities on its foes. It is a even more nightmarish version of the beholder itself. And this is crazy because it's essentially another creature that is finding a way to control a beholder, a creature that is so scared of isolation, so, so scared of the world around it, despite its fierce power that it's isolated, that it is insane and has this maniacal desire to have to be in control of every situation the mind flare is something that a beholder should worry about because it will literally go insane and get possessed by this other creature known for its crazy high genius level intellect. This is a little bit reminiscent of the hive mother. A hive mother is the rare type of beholder and it often is depicted as existing in space. A hive mother somehow has such a high super intelligence. It is able to get other beholders to work together to form a hive mind to create a swarm of beholders so that they can take down entire planets, entire planes of existence. Can you think of any other type of beholder or any other creature that can do this? Like, is there any other being that is able to control like an army of beholders like this? Like, this is crazy to me. Um, actually there is one that I came across when doing a little digging and it was from third edition, which most of the other beholder came we've talked about. This has all been mostly relevant to fifth edition, but there was a third edition one, a Beholderkin, called The Overseer. And to read from the Forgotten Whelms wiki page, it says, Overseers possessed power similar to that of a hive mother and could control the actions of 5 to 10 standard Beholders or 5 to 20 Beholderkin. However, Overseers could only control creatures of the same type. Thus, one Overseer could control Death Kisses, or directors, but not a combination of the two beholder types. So, in theory, it could control several beholders or several death kisses, but not necessarily a mix of 
you know, several different types of beholder kin. I mean, you only need one beholder. <laughs> it could control more than one beholder. But yeah, that and the hive mother are both it's terrifying. So what does it look like? Like, is it is it a beholder? Is it look like the rest of the beholders? And is it considered to be a beholder kin? Or what is the depiction of this creature? So it is considered a, a beholder kin. And unlike the beholders, which are, you know, spherical or at least, you know, kind of resemble something of that shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, the overseer looks like a cross between maybe an octopus and a tree, but you know, far more terrible. It's got all these tentacles that come out at its base like roots, and at its trunk are these wide, gaping mouths, like at least three of them with really sharp teeth. And from the top of the tree sprout all of these eye stalks, mm-hmm. just like the beholders like have. Like roots? Um, no, the roots look more like tentacles, but the the top it sprouted like branches oh, okay. coming out. The eye stalks do. And um, the true potential of the overseer that makes it so scary is the fact that... Um, it could potentially control several hive mothers, which could in turn control several beholders that could be controlling several of their own minions. And so you'd end up with this army amassed that the overseer could essentially control. Yeah, that sounds crazy. Like when I hear that, the first thing that comes to my mind is you say it looks like a tree. I don't imagine like a, I mean, even a regular tree is really tall, like a hundred feet or something, right? But I imagine this being like, like Yggdrasil, like a world tree, like an enormous tree that is rooted to the core of some planet out in deep space, like thousands of feet tall, like this main thing that's hooked to a planet. It's like linked to the core of wherever, wherever it is that beholders originally come from, you know. And I just imagine it being like the true hive mother, like the origin of beholders, so large that it has like these hollowed cavities where thousands of, you know, hundreds of thousands or whatever beholders like live, like it's their lair, and that is their true place of origin. I feel like that is a really interesting way. Like, I mean, I don't know much about this creature, but I think it would be really cool to kind of make it like you can even journey inside of it or something, like it is a dungeon or. Uh, you're at least going to an area where these things are just massive. I just, in my mind, I imagine it being super massive to have this power to control, like you said, 10 to 20 beholders at a time. That's crazy. Or if it controlled hive mothers and those hive mothers are controlling hundreds of their own beholders all across the galaxy. I, I just can't help but think it's like one of these things exists only. And it's the true origin, the true seed of the beholder. And that is where it sprouted into this monstrosity. So what are some really cool ways that you can think of to incorporate beholders into a game that, you know, as a player, you would really be caught off guard, even even more so than a regular beholder is already going to give you. But like you're caught off guard because of something crazy. Like, can you come up with any way that would really kind of take what this already outrageous idea of a beholder to another level? So earlier I'd mentioned the idea that, you know, if you had wounded a beholder and managed to put it to sleep, maybe with a spell... And it had a nightmare of losing blood, and from that was born a death kiss. That would be one way that 
you know, the, an encounter could take a twist for the worse mm-hmm. when you at you know you think you've overcome this beholder by some other means than just outright killing it. And another um, kind of interesting hypothetical I was thinking about was um, beholders, if they meet each other, they'll instantly try and kill each other out of this you know complex that they are the greatest and that anything that could possibly try to compete with them for that position must die. So they're going to try and kill this other beholder. But if one beholder put the other to sleep and that sleeping beholder dreamt of itself or other beholders and from that was born another beholder, you could end up with this infinite loop of beholders being born and put to sleep and dreaming another beholder into existence. It's not a dream. That's a nightmare. Truly. Like like you said, or the book itself mentions that it can be an exact copy or deviate just slightly. If it is an exact copy of this beholder that's so paranoid that he dreamt up another beholder and it is a one-for-one one copy, that other beholder would have the same paranoia and the same possibility of dreaming up another copy and another copy. And yeah, it definitely could be chaos, but as a player, you're like, fuck, okay, we're definitely fucked now. There's nothing we can do. That might be your saving grace also. Uh, you know, I, you can be DMing a game, and you're like, okay, I punished them enough with this beholder, and he dreams up another one, and then they start fighting one another, and that's their chance to escape. That would be amazing and also terrifying to have to rely on their preoccupation with another beholder for us to escape. I can only hope that that situation does not happen to us. So you're talking about, you know, beholders are known to fight one another to the death. They need perfection. They are the epitome of the top evolution of what is a beholder. There's something I cannot believe that we scanned over until now. And that is the death tyrant. Saving the best for last. A death tyrant takes the horrifying idea of a beholder and makes it worse. Makes it have a higher armor class. It has more health. It's saving throws and all those and perception are still just as high. It's now also immune to poison. It's immune to being charmed. It cannot be exhausted. It cannot be paralyzed. It cannot be petrified. It cannot be knocked prone. It still has night vision or it still has dark vision. It still has a passive perception of 22. It can still speak deep speech. It can still speak under common, except it has now become a challenge 14 instead of a 13 rating. You're probably wondering, what is a death tyrant? Like, where does a death tyrant come from? Well, we already talked about how beholders are insane. They're crazy. And there is kind of this propensity for uh, high intellect creatures to drive themselves a little insane by overthinking things, um, designing their own anxiety by being nervous about a situation or just kind of feeling like everyone's out to get them because a more intelligent being is going to think about these things. They want to be more prepared. Well, just as a beholder can dream other beholders into existence and create other beholder kin and things at will, sometimes the beholder's paranoia takes it to the point where it cannot stop thinking about its own impending death. They may be these crazy, smart, crazy, powerful creatures, but everything dies. They are not immortals. And when they dream of their death for quite some time, it can shape the actual world they live in. 
their skin literally begins to rot off of their flesh. Their tentacles become nothing. The eye inside of their skull disintegrates. They are left with this crazy skull with a, they're left being, they wake up to find themselves as nothing more than a giant skull with sharp teeth, a empty eye socket with the glowing red dots, and then other glowing red dots all around them that were once the center cores of their eyes that were attached to the tentacles. The death tyrant is horrifying, but the death tyrant is crazy. So instead of having an anti-magic cone, it has a negative energy cone. The death tyrant's central eye emits an invisible, magical 150-foot cone of negative energy. Any creature that is within this cone cannot regain hit points in any way. They cannot be healed. They cannot be repaired. They cannot be mended. They cannot drink a potion. They cannot eat a ration. There there is no way they can regain health at all if they are within this cone. Any humanoid that dies in the cone instantly becomes a zombie and is under the tyrant's command. The dead humanoid retains its place in the initiative order and animates at the start of its next turn, provided that its body hasn't been completely destroyed by one of the eye rays. So if it kills you... It's not already like you're dead, which is bad enough, but now you're attacking the other players on the team. You become a zombie. You become this thrall of the, this undead thrall of the death tyrant. It still has all the eye rays that you might expect, such as the charm ray, paralyzed, fear, has a slowing ray, enervation, telekinetic, sleep ray, petrification, disintegration, and of course, the death ray. All of these still exist. And it also has its legendary action. So just as before, it can still use its eye rays up to three times and attack all the creatures around. It can still use its eye rays three times, you know, at the end of each one of its enemy's turn. And then when it gets back to its turn, it regains these three charges. It is a beholder that has just become more powerful. It is a beholder who has truly embraced the insanity to the point of becoming this undead monstrosity. It is able to create zombie thralls. It is able to create undead slaves that will do its every bidding. It has taken the idea of Beholder and made it truly horrifying. But with that, I think we've done it, Vincent. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add for our listeners? No, I think that's all. Thanks for having me on the show. All right. Well, thank you for tuning into this week's episode. I hope that we were able to come up with some informative information and give you some interesting ideas for how to use Beholders in your own campaigns. We have a ton of more topics to discuss on the show, so make sure you tune in next week for Dice Talk. As always, I just wanted to take some time to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope that our discussion was able to entertain and inspire you. Have you ever had a team get wiped out by a beholder? How do you usually go about including beholders in your own campaign? Do you have any ideas for homebrew beholder kin? We want to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to dicetalkshow.com. There, you can engage on the blog with the Dice Talk community, explore our image gallery, and stay up to date with all things Dice Talk. If you want to find us on social media, you can do so by searching Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. They really help to get us to the top of the chart so that Dice Talk can reach even more listeners. We will continue to read out five-star reviews in future episodes, so rate and review us, tell us what you think, and listen for your shout-out. 
Until then, tell your friends about us and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening to Dice Talk, and be sure to tune in next week for Episode 7.